continue this uh, four-week series called Unpack Your Bags because it's just our thought that we all have baggage, right? We all have things that we carry around, and man, the older you get, sometimes the bigger the baggage gets, right? And so we need to be able to unpack those things as well. So today, we're going to talk about failure. How about that? We're going to talk about failure for that. So I unfortunately, I have some experience in this area. Um, well, I, uh, on my high school football team, I was a quarterback for three years. My sophomore year, we were perfect. No wins, 11 losses. <laughs> yes, it was a very, very successful season. Okay, all right. In my early 20s, I made a financial mistake, cost thousands of dollars in our family business, just kind of made a bad decision. That was costly as well. As a father, I got mad at my kids one day. They weren't getting ready for school. We were in the garage, they were like this tall, and I go, hurry, I'm going to get ready, hurry, get, we got to get to school, because if you're on, on school on time, I'll be late for my next appointment, and finally I had some shoes in my hand, I don't know why I had shoes in my hands, I slammed them down the washroom, get in the car, you know, and I felt like such a failure as a father, and as a husband, I've been perfect. <laughs> I just want to see if anybody was awake. <laughs> and sure enough, all of you were awake. But I do know this. One thing everybody in this room has in common, we failed at something at some time as well. I got home on Tuesday night, asked Mary. I said, she goes, what are you talking about Sunday? And, and I said, we're talking about failure. And I said, I've been thinking about it. And why don't you tell me your biggest failure? And I can share that one in church. That was a mistake, okay, don't, don't do that as well, okay. So it's one thing uh, that we've all experienced, we've either failed at a job, didn't make a sports team, uh, 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 didn't pass a class, didn't get the degree you want, and the list goes on and on and on, and the truth is that we're all capable of jealousy and pride and hypocrisy and those things, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I fail at praying because I start praying and my mind wonders. That happened to anybody else? My mind wonders. I'm not very focused as well. And when given the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus, sometimes I, I shrink back. Yeah, I fail at that sometimes. And, and not making enough time to read scripture. Sometimes it's that one as well. And I've, I've wasted a lot of my life watching sports. <laughs> and since COVID, I've wasted a little bit of time streaming stuff as well, right? Right? We all do that. The Bible says there is no one who is righteous, no, not even one. Romans 2.10. Bible goes on to say, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Can we agree on one thing that probably everybody in this room has failed, and failure is not unusual to be human. We can't avoid failure. It happens. As soon as you get married, you'll end up failing. As soon as you have children, you'll end up failing. And also, you'll become a, have a twisted mind after you have children. But it's, it's true. It's true. But I want to give you one idea today that's going to change your life. Okay? Are you tracking? This is going to... This is going to that's going to transform everything for you today. This is, this is something that is going to, if you've experienced some failure and you've wallowed in that a little bit, this is going to change it for you. And here's our big idea today. My biggest sins are not bigger than God's grace. 
You think you have some type of huge failure, a moral failure, some type of failure in your life. I want you to know that God's grace is bigger than any failure that you have ever experienced in your life. Now, not all failure is sinful, and here's what I mean. You failed to make the high school baseball team. Well, that's not particularly a sinful thing, okay? Or you failed at, at, at something else that we would say, well, that wasn't necessarily in the realm of the spiritual, okay? That wasn't exactly a moral failure as well. You failed to love your spouse unconditionally. That's a moral failure. That, that, that's a failure. That crosses the line. You didn't sign up for a class on time. You didn't be able to get in to take that class. That's not particularly a moral failure. And sometimes it seems to me, I don't know, you can go home and talk about it. It seems like we over-exaggerate our failures sometimes. We just over-exaggerate. And we just think, oh, I, I blew that so big, tomorrow I'm going to die. <laughs> Right? You just kind of overdo it, right? I don't know about you. And you just think it's the end of the world or you hope it's the end of the world. And here's what I've noticed too, that sometimes it's the fear of failure that is worse than the failure itself. Right? And you're just afraid sometimes to take steps. And so there's this fear of failure. But what do we do? We need to, when we fail, pick up ourselves and just get on with life, and sometimes that's not exactly uh, something that, that we do. And maybe what we need to do is redefine failure a little bit, like, hey, failure, depending on the failure, you failed to make, uh, you failed to get that job, you failed to nail the interview, you failed at this or that, and maybe we need to redefine failure about, about it. It's just that we are going to, we're going to just try again, admit it, I blew it. In baseball, you strike out a lot but you don't quit as well. And when you're riding a bicycle, you fell over, you don't quit. And when you're a baby and you take steps you don't, and you fall over and you fall over, you don't quit. But many people, because they're afraid, they just quit. I remember this because I like reading stuff. And Winston Churchill was once asked about, what prepared you to be the leader of the, of the, uh, uh, of, of the war against the Nazis? And he said, well, it's when I took a class again in elementary school. And he said, well, you failed a class? And his British voice goes, I never failed a class. I had the opportunity to do it twice. <laughs> <laughs> right? That, that's, that's, that's what Churchill said. Okay? And it seems to me that failure is one of the primary tools God uses to shape our lives. But that doesn't happen unless we admit the failure, that we process through it, okay? Well, we gotta process through it. Now, I doubt it sometimes, I doubt if this occurs, hey, I'm great success in an area, oh, let's, uh, let's process that. We usually just move on, right? Oh, that was great, we were successful. But it's when we fail that we need to ask ourselves questions and process that as well. So I thought I'd pick an example from the Bible of failure, and oh man, there are so many. I filled up my whiteboard, my office, with examples of failure from the Bible, and I thought, which one am I gonna pick? I got a lot of options here today, right? So I picked the Apostle Paul. 
because he experienced some failure, and he's pretty well known to us as well. And if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. I think it's on the screen right here. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. It says, brothers and sisters, here's what Paul says. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. That would be the Christian life, perfection, maturity. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, behind, straining toward what is ahead. So we see that contrast, the behind but straining toward the future. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. How do you forget what lies behind? How do you forget that? How do you move on? Maybe that's a better way to say How do you move on from what lies behind? Because it feels like to me that what lies behind is that baggage that we've been talking about. And sometimes we just need to kind of be able to do that. Well, for Paul, what was his baggage? I thought that was a good question. In Acts chapter 7, we read this part of Paul's baggage. At this, they covered their ears. This is a crowd. They're getting ready to kill somebody. Yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out in the city. This is a man named Stephen, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, and Saul approved of their killing him. Now, Saul is the Hebrew name for Paul. Paul's his Greek name, and that's what he used most of the time, Paul. And so it's Paul. He's complicit in a conspiracy to murder somebody. And then later on, Acts chapter 9, says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found uh, any there who belonged to the way, that was the nickname of Christians then, the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he was ready to arrest Christians, so he kills somebody. Now he's going to arrest people and torture them and get them to recant in their belief in Jesus. That's Paul. You want to talk about baggage. How about that? And you show up at church and they go, isn't that the guy trying to kill us? <laughs> Let's have him sit at the back of the room and have security surround him. <laughs> you know, that's, that's Paul. Not only that, but we read in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, he goes, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And Paul's going to list all these things he used to be arrogant about. Circumcised on the eighth day, big deal for Jewish people, on the peop, uh, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. And Paul is like this, he's like this religious terrorist who's incredibly arrogant about his righteousness. How do you leave that behind? That's why Paul says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, is straining toward what is ahead. I press on to the goal to win the prize, I press on to Jesus. So maybe you're here today and you say, well, I've got my stuff too, and I don't want you to talk about it publicly, but I got it, right? Well, we got this kind of failure. Well, what are we going to do? How are we going to leave that behind? We need to get this down because when we don't leave it behind, it crops up in the future. You don't leave your anger behind, 
you know, get the it pops up in the future. You don't leave your, you don't leave your fear behind, uh, uh, feelings of inadequacy, insecurity, those things. Here's number one. Here's talk about four ways, four ways I think we can leave the fear of failure behind us and move on in life. Number one, you are not what you've done. You're not what you've done. The Bible says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess. And then what does he do? He is faithful. Hey, let's, let's get this really down because it's such an important verse. Let's say it with me. He is faithful. Let's say it. he is faithful, right, right? And he will forgive us our sins. Say that with me. Forgive us our sins. Let's say it because we got to believe it, right? Forgive us our sins. Right, right. And then what is he going to do? He's going to purify us. He's going to clean us up, right? And that's what's going to happen in our lives. You can be completely forgiven, instantaneously forgiven, the moment you acknowledge your failure. The moment you acknowledge your sin. You know, I've been a Christian for about 40 years now, and I can tell you there are times that you just think, uh, oh man, I, 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 have this, I have this guilt in my life, right? And I want to tell you something. God does not want you to live with that guilt. Because the moment you confess your sin... He is faithful. What does that mean? Every time he wipes the slate clean. And here's what your enemy, the devil, does. He comes up to you and he whispers in your ear, remember what you did? You did that? You'll never be anything in your life again? You'll never have a life You'll never have fulfillment in a relationship. You'll never have this. Why? Because it just paralyzes us when those things happen. And it breeds self-hatred. And you have this guilt. And you just want to cower with it. Right? It just shrinks you up. You begin to think about it. And, and, and we can't move forward because the guilt just paralyzes our life. And then the Holy Spirit comes and, and can refresh us remind us that we don't have to live in that guilt. Now, I have this in my hands, and uh, it's an old-school Etch-a-Sketch. Etch anybody? It's so old-school, I don't even know if people know what it is. Anybody? Yeah, okay, good, good. And so you're supposed to turn these. That's an Etch-a-Sketch, right? And, and if you live in Drain, it's an iPad. <laughs> okay. I should have said that. I apologize to all my friends in Drain. Okay. We love you and Drain. We love you guys. Okay. I have more to say about that, but I'm going to let it go today. Okay. So you turn the knobs, and here's one thing I can never get is I can never make a perfect circle with an etch sketch I just, I can't do it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, somebody over here says they can do it, but I, I can't do it, you know, and I, I just, I'm doing it right now. I can't do this, you know, and I, I, I have... But here's the thing, you can kind of just do this and then everything's wiped clean, right? You just shake it and everything, everything's clean. You have all these imperfections in your life. You've tried to live a certain way 
and you know what? You can't be perfect. And, and, and with the extra sketch, yeah, it just all goes away. That's what God does to the sin and the failure in your life. It's gone. But we live with those things in our heads, right? And they just seem like they won't go away. But what God does is exactly what happens on this Etch-a-Sketch. He takes it away. And, and we, need to, we need to grapple with that, right? God is faithful, and he, went, and he will. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah said, I will forgive their wickedness and their sins will be remembered no more. And their sins will be remembered no more is repeated several times in the book of Hebrews. Remembered no more. It is not held against you at all. Okay, the all-powerful, ever-present God takes your failure, your guilt, your sin, your brokenness, and he cleans it up, purifies you. That's, the, that's why we say God's grace is bigger than any failure, any sin, any mistake that I've made. I was just reflecting on the Apostle Paul, and in 2 Corinthians it says that, says that he had this thorn in the flesh thing going on, and we don't know what that is exactly, but it's not the point. But he prayed three times, hey, I want this to go away, and God says, it's not going to go away. My grace will cover that for you, and you can boast in your weakness, which gives glory to my grace. And it's an amazing passage, but I want to tell you something. Paul didn't go around saying, hi, my name is Mr. Thorn. My, my name is, is unanswered prayer. My name is, you know, he didn't do that. But we tend to do that. We label ourselves. You steal something. You don't tell the truth. You say, well, I'm a liar. I'm an embezzler. And you label yourself that way. So your sin is beginning to define you when that happens. Your failure is beginning to define you. Let God define who you are are. And Satan tries to, he comes and whispers in your, see, you're just a liar. See, you, you betrayed your spouse, you're, you're just an adulterer for the rest of eternity. It's not true. It's not true. And we take those things and we just label ourselves and it drags us down. And the Bible has lots of things to say about this. You know, the Bible says, uh, if you look at somebody with lust, you've already committed adultery. If you don't like somebody, you've already murdered them. And so Satan comes along and just whispers, see, you are a murderer, right? And what we've done is we've, we've, we've taken sin as an event that we do, and we've incorporated it into our souls. So that's exactly who we are. Second Corinthians 5.17, incredible verse. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ... Who, who, let's just say this, anyone, say it with me, anyone is in Christ. Anyone is in Christ. You're a new person, a new creation. There's something new about you, okay? So anyone, who is that? Now, the Greek word, I studied this a little bit, and it means anyone. I went really deep today, didn't I? <laughs> Anyone. And the moment you cross that line of faith, trust Christ as your Savior, you're part of the anyone. You're a new person. 
not a perfect person. No, 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 we're not saying that. But that old, that's kind of like what Paul is saying, forgetting what lies behind, the old, the new is here in my life. And I can put that to bed in my life. So the bad news, that's all great news, but the bad news is if you haven't crossed that line of faith, you're still stuck back there. And man, this, maybe this is your day. Maybe you've been checking out window shopping, kicking the tires of this thing called Christ and the church and Jesus, and you're just trying to figure it out. And Man, maybe today's your day. Go, yeah, that's exactly where I need to be. I need to trust Christ. You can do that. You're at home watching right now. You can do that right now just listening to my voice. You can say, Jesus, I want that. I want forgiveness in my life. I believe in you. You don't have to be stuck in the past and just let it paralyze you when it comes to the future as well. I used to sit with people in my office and I would have the sheet sometimes on my desk and I'd pull it out and slide it over, say, hey, read this out loud. And, and I want to hear you read it. And I have things like this in it. I've been adopted by God himself. I belong to the family of God. I am a child of God. I am forgiven. I am justified before God. I am a saint. Hey, would you turn to the person next to you, if there's anybody even close to you, just say, I'm a saint. Just do that right now. <laughs> okay, that's enough. You don't have to tell them why you're a saint. Now then, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's just say, I'm a saint. You're a saint. Just do that. Now, now do that. You're a saint. Yeah, yeah, you're a saint. You know, the word saint means you're just set apart for Christ. In fact, the Bible calls a lot of people who were uh, not perfect saints. The entire church of Corinth were called saints, and it was the worst church in the history of the first century. <laughs> Paul says, man, there are saints there. You're a citizen of heaven. The Bible says, I am blessed. I would have the sheet of 30 things for people to read out loud. That's who you are. You're a new creation. I'm blessed, overcome by God's saving grace in my life, and I do not have the ability to overcome my failure and brokenness, but Jesus does. That's why we say his grace is bigger than my failure. It doesn't define me. Number two, number two, failure is not final. Sometimes, like I said, we over-exaggerate and say, oh man, this is the end of the road for me. It's going to be a terrible situation. Book of Proverbs says, even though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. And sometimes life happens and we stumble, make poor choices. And there are many factors to that, right? Out, sometimes they're out of our control, the failure. Sometimes they're directly in our control. You know, we did something or we didn't do something. History books are filled with people who failed. I was just kind of reading about someone. George Washington lost two-thirds of his battles. He still won the Revolutionary War. Napoleon graduated at the bottom of his class. Still conquered Europe. Babe Ruth. In fact, I looked it up for Alex Rodriguez. I got sidetracked this week. Alex Rodriguez, Bob, Barry Bonds, Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle, they all had more strikeouts than home runs. And in fact, Mickey Mantle and A-Rod they, they nearly had one strikeout per game. They struck out all the time. There's a lot of failure that, that, that way. But it's not fatal. 
Then I'm just thinking people in the Bible. King David killed a man after committing adultery. He's a murderer. Gideon, a lesser-known guy in the Bible, but he was hiding in a kind of like in a cave, getting away from people. God shows up, calls him a mighty warrior. Moses, Moses killed a man. Moses disobeyed God. King Josiah made a huge mistake going out to battle once. Peter denied Jesus. Peter, Samson failed. I have a whole list here of people who have failed. Sometimes it's amazing how quick we give up after we fail. We just fail and we just kind of give up. Just give up. But we can learn through failure. Proverbs 28 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And so I think the thing that happens is failure is not final, but what we need to realize is that we need to come to terms with those things. And so we don't ignore those things. We need to be able to acknowledge those things. This is what's happened. This happened in my life. Here's what occurred. You know, here's what I said to my parents or whatever the case may be. Here's what I said to my teachers. Here's what, here, here, here's what I stole from my work. We need to, because failure will be dragging you down until you at least acknowledge that, begin to process it. Number three, God gives me a new way to live. How about that? So when we think about failure, we have this moral failure, we have this failure in our life, and then we want to move on to something different, and, and we need a new way to approach life. And I call that living by grace. Okay, we're going to live by grace. Paul puts it this way, but our citizenship in Philippians 3.20 is in heaven. Step one, when you're thinking about this, I don't belong here on this earth. I'm a citizen of heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we may be like his glorious body. So I'm a citizen of heaven. I have a new way to live. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he died for us, for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. That's the new way to live. Am I going to live for me? Who am I going to live for? Jesus. Why? Because I'm a citizen of heaven. But for him who died for them and was raised again, you can't change your past. You can't. You can change the way you think. And you can change what you believed. You got molested when you were a child. You can't change that. My heart breaks for you. I'm sorry. You went through an ugly divorce. Painful. Painful. Sorry for that. You cannot change your past. When you were young, you had an abortion. That was painful. You cannot change your past. You can't. And all those things can nag at us as well. Every person in the Bible, excluding Jesus, had something. You are in good company. You're in good company. Don't ever feel like you're the only one who has ever failed as well. Never ever forget 
Every single saint has a past, and every single sinner, that's you and me, has a future in Jesus Christ. And your spiritual enemy will try to convince you that you have nowhere to go, but the risen Savior has defeated all that. It's all about the risen Savior. Remember what Paul said? I saw, I forget what lies behind. I press forward to what is out there. We've got to leave that behind. How do we do that, right? We unpack that baggage as well. And I try to grab on to Jesus Christ because he has grabbed on to me. I press on. Can't live in the past, but many of us try to live in the past. And it doesn't work very well. Hey, I want to talk about this. You're probably wondering what this is. And, and if you're over here on this side or over here, you could probably, oops, maybe that's in the way. Um, see, and this has some reflection on it for those of you in the middle. But this is my, uh, hangs in my office, and it's a metal sculpture. It's really heavy. I touch it, but I don't want to fall on the stage here. And so uh, this metal sculpture is um, sent by a friend of mine named Tim. And Tim... Uh, I got to know Tim a long time ago where I used to live, and he helped me when I was a youth pastor, part of my youth ministry team. And I asked him one day, I said, Tim, would you help me in youth ministry? He goes, no. And I said, well, Tim, I think you'd be good at, no. And he goes, Steve, you don't know my background. And I said, well, I do know your background, and I think you'd be good at this. And so uh, his background was that he was a recovering alcoholic and a cocaine addict and a whole host of other stuff. And, and Tim and Kathy uh, said, we don't want to do this youth ministry thing. And I said, no, I think, I think you can do this, and you'll be good at it. And, and they were. They jumped in and led a group in their house with a bunch of kids, uh, a bunch of freshman kids, and they um, uh, stuck, stuck with them freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, and meeting with them every week in their home, about 10 to 15 kids. Here's a cool story. And so when I got ready to move here, Tim helped me, helped me uh, move here and helped me pack up and all that kind of stuff. And, and he even drove one of the vehicles down here for me. And, and, but he gave me this. He was a metal sculpture. And Tim was, he works at a boiler plant at a, at a timber facility where I used to live. And he ran the boiler, whatever that's called. Boiler maker, I guess. Anyway, so he, uh, he would go out and get scrap iron that was on the discard pile, like the throwaway pile, and he would turn it into artwork. And one day he made this, this giant person looking at a sundial, and then in the middle of the night, Tim was a prankster, he went downtown, this little town I lived in, and he bolted it to the sidewalk on a manhole cover on the sidewalk as, as a joke, you know, next day people are like, where'd this guy come from? And, and where I used to live, it rained all the time, so a sundial was like, well, that's a joke. And he's looking at a sundial, a big brass eyes. And finally the city goes, this is awesome. Can you make us another one, you know? And they paid him for it. And yeah. And uh, so Tim makes this for me, and his artwork is called Resurrection Art. Resurrection art. And if you don't know, this is the Michelangelo's the hand of God touching the hand of man. And every time I see this in my office, I think about Tim. His life was a wreck. 
He tried to commit suicide by throwing himself out of his car when he was drunk. He didn't know he was already parked in the driveway. <laughs> his wife said, you can't even kill yourself right, right? So. He spent thousands of dollars a month on his addiction. I mean, thousands upon thousands of dollars a month. He hurt lots of people in the way. But there was a time Tim trusted Christ. And his life was like this metal thing that was on the scrap. He was on the junk pile. He's on the junk pile. But God can take what's on the junk pile and make it something amazing. So God can take your life and my life and your friend's life and your co-worker's life and your family's life, and God can make people into something amazing, a new creation. Do you get that? So you might be here today and you feel like, I've been discarded. I'm in the trash heap. Nobody likes me. Just all that kind of stuff. That's a bunch of junk from your enemy. And God says to you, you're my masterpiece. I'm not quite done with you yet. So don't let failure do that to you. If my buddy Tim can go through what he went through and God can work in his life, I know God can work in your life. I know that. Number four, number four. Move beyond yourself. Move beyond failure by forgiving yourself. Psalm 38 says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy. So sometimes people are in this junk pile, back to my Tim example, and they feel so overwhelmed with guilt, you know, they just can't forgive themselves. I betrayed somebody else. I feel so much guilt. When I was a young pastor, I was about 30 and a woman who was about 60 came to see me, and she sat down in my office um, and began to weep quietly. And I just kind of let her weep and talk and weep and talk. And she goes, Pastor Steve, when I was 40 and my husband and I had two teenage kids, I became pregnant. And she begins to weep and talk and weep and talk and and sometimes what happens to people they begin to shake a little bit and they begin to rock and, you, and I can know there's a lot of trauma there and so so as we're talking in my office she begins to really begin to cry and she goes my husband and I said we don't need a baby right now and so we went to the clinic and I had an abortion I can't forget that day and she says to me, she goes, that was 20 years ago, 20 years ago. And she began to cry and we began to talk and I said, you know, it sounds like you know that God has forgiven you, but you're having trouble forgiving yourself right now. And for some of you, you need to take that step. If the creator of the universe, the one who died for you on the cross, has forgiven you, can you forgive yourself? 
I pray that you can today. Because God wants you to forgive yourself. He doesn't want you to carry that baggage around. And part of the solution to moving forward, to capturing the grace of God in your life, is to forgive yourself. And it can be overwhelming when we do so. I asked myself three questions this week. Are you harder on yourself than Jesus is? Are you accepting God's forgiveness? Have you forgiven yourself? Failure is not final, not by any means. Hey, we're going to take communion today, but we're going to do it differently. And I know some of you don't do change well, so here we go. We're not going to stand. We're going to sit. And, and I have this verse on the screen, and I want you to think about this verse right now. And he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. So for the next minute, I've asked Justin just to, just to play instrumentally. And I just want you to think about the verse and reflect for about a minute. And then on your own, take communion when you feel so led. Can you do that? And then Amy and Ashley will take it from there. And just take a time to reflect. And then take communion on your own. Look at the verse, pray. Remind yourself of God's forgiveness and what he did for you on the cross.